the cover of Time Magazine from January 1999. The end of the world, Y2K insanity, apocalypse now, will computers melt down? Will society, a guide to millennium madness. Is it working now? Okay. Thanks. Uh, a less extreme t uh, headline from the San Diego Union Tribune. Little glitches more likely than big Y2K bites. And possibly my favorite from the weekly world news tabloid who is famous for their coverage of the infamous Bat Boy, Armageddon, year 2000 computer bug will turn machine against man. Hundreds of planes will fall out of the sky. Cars will stop dead in their tracks. Nuclear missiles will launch themselves. It seems completely laughable now, even the more headlines like the one from Time Magazine, it seems completely laughable 24 years later. Computers were fine and, and now we carry them in our pockets, we wear them on our wrists. But while the Y2K bug didn't really destroy anything, what did happen in the new millennium? Well, not even two years in, terrorists hijacked airplanes, downing them in New York, DC, and in a Pennsylvania field murdering approximately 3,000 people in one day. A 20-year war on terror soon reigned. In 2007 and 2008, a financial crisis occurred, the worst the world had known since the Great Depression. In 2020, a worldwide pandemic caused fear, confusion, sickness, death, lockdowns, and even more economic trouble. That was interspersed with intense racial tensions, polarizing political division, and a stampede on the nation's capital. War in Ukraine, war in Gaza, the list could go on. What is your fear and trepidation this New Year's Eve? What is keeping you up tonight long after the ball drops in New York City and the lights go off in your home? Is it finances? Is it school or work? Is it longing? Is it wars and rumors of wars? Is it a crossroads decision that you're wrestling with and you don't know if left or right is best? I would argue that if, if we are all honest, even those of us looking forward to the new year with excitement and anticipation probably have some level of anxiety this morning. Even if you have no looming threat or expectation of one, you know well that life does not always go as planned or prepared. So what do we do with those fears, anxieties, and worries? Where do we run and to whom do we cry to morning, noon, and night? Psalm 119 through poem and song instructs us on how we should pray, what we are to cherish and follow, and who we can turn to. Psalm 119, specifically verses 145 through 152, instructs us that our strength comes from a needy frame and posture. We have a need for prayer, for God's word, and ultimately God himself who is near us. So first we see a need for prayer. The psalmist begins in verse 145, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, 
O Lord. This is, is a deep and impassioned prayer. This is, is not just lip service or rote memory babble that is recited before a meal. This is, as Matthew Henry describes, fervor of affection and a holy vehemence and vigor of desire. The whole heart and soul of the psalmist is engaged and laid out before the Lord. Perhaps, though not stated, but perhaps he is even on his knees, his body engaged in reflecting the stance of his need. Friends, we, we must remember that we are a, a needy people, that our life, our breath, our very being is dependent on God alone. Much more, our salvation rests solely on Christ alone. In the late 1700s, the hymnist John Stocker penned the words, without thy sweet mercy, I could not live here. Sin would reduce me to utter despairs, but through thy free goodness, my spirits revive. And he that first made me still keeps me alive. We are dependent on God wholly, whether we like it or whether we realize it or whether we remember it. So often we forget and we think that we must and we can just push through with our strength, with our wisdom, with our might, and we forget that we are all but grass that will one day wither away. But we have almighty God on our side, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, yet the one who bends low to hear the cries of his people. So with our whole heart, we cry body and soul. But perhaps you say, I am too tired to pray like that. I'm just too tired. I'm too tired to get on my knees and to lift my hands. I'm too tired to spend time exerting energy, speaking to the air. My heart is too weary. It is literally worn out. Even time that I could spend praying while driving, while doing dishes, while brushing my teeth, my heart is just too weary. I don't have the strength. I, I don't have the words. I want to, but I don't have the energy. Friends, that is, that is all too often a normal experience for the believer. But take heart, for he knows our needy frame. Psalm 103 verses 13 and 14 say, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are but dust. So in those moments, just cry, help. Help, I don't know the words, Father, but help. I've done that more times than I could even count. And we can be comforted by Paul's words in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So crying with our whole heart may look different in different seasons. The psalmist continues his prayers in verses 147 through 148. I rise before dawn and cry for help. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night. The psalmist says that he arises before dawn. Why, Why is that? 
to cry for help. He knows that his help and strength for the day does not lie in horses, does not lie in chariots or in his might, but that his help is from the Lord. And then the evening comes. There is this all day walking and communing with the Father and all day crying out, I need thee every hour. This picture of morning and evening would have likely reminded the Israelites of one of the most important texts to them found in Deuteronomy chapter six. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Dedicated prayer time is good and right. The psalmist indicates that he does that and even the gospels record Jesus getting away and alone, taking dedicated time to pray. But we don't just say amen and, and move on forgetting the one to whom we prayed. Our days should go on in communion with God, walking with him, talking to him, crying to him every hour. And lest we think that our prayers may not make it to the Lord because he might be too busy for us, just a few Psalms later we find in Psalm 121, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God does not sleep and he watches over your coming and your going. He is not too busy for you. And while, and while there is most certainly a time for long all night prayers, there is wisdom in putting yourself to bed and trusting the God who never sleeps and keeps you going in for, and coming out forever. So crying to him morning, noon, and night, walk with him throughout your day, but at the end, lay your cries before the Lord and lay yourself to bed. <clears throat> Verse 149, hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. Our plea for an answered prayer is not dependent on our righteousness, but it is dependent on the steadfast love of the Lord. One commentator put it this way, the confidence of his cry is founded on the Lord's loyal love, the Lord's faithful covenant love for those who belong to him. And just as ultimately answered prayers are not dependent on how long we pray or on how much faith we have, there is biblical encouragement for continued prayer. Think of the parable of the persistent neighbor. So how will we in our needy frame make much of our need for prayer in this new year? Do you have a list? Not a requirement, but it does help. Will you set aside time in your day for dedicated prayer time? And will you allow your heart to, throughout the day, cry out to the Lord, whether it is a whole heart cry or a quiet help? I'd like to recommend two resources. The first is A Praying Life by Paul E. Miller. This is an excellent book on prayer. It's, it's practical, it's honest, 
it's accessible. It isn't weighty. You don't need a, a seminary education to understand it. Some of the best encouragements on prayer I've received through this book. The second we actually have available free for you today, uh, it's in the back. Um, it's a little book called 22 Life Lessons on Prayer by Tim Kerr. Tim is actually a pastor at one of the Sovereign Grace churches in our region, uh, the one right outside of Toronto. The second need we see in this section of Psalm 119 is a need for God's word. Interspersed in the cries of prayer, the psalmist exhorts the word of God. The exhortation of God's word is the theme of the whole of Psalm 119, and the psalmist does not leave the encouragement towards scripture out of this stanza. I, I find it mesmerizing that in less than 10 verses, several different words are used to describe aspects of God's word. Statutes, testimonies, word, promise, commandments true, and testimonies forever. We'll begin with verse 145. I will keep your statutes. Here, there is a commitment to keeping God's law. In other words, I will obey what you have commanded. He continues in verse 146, save me that I may observe your testimonies. So here we have the prayer, save me mixed with the commitment, I will observe your testimonies. Again, in other words, save me so that I can see you. Save me so that I will keep your statutes. As we looked at just moments ago, our dependent on God and the power of his spirit is what helps us to live holy lives as followers of Christ. We can try and work and commit all we want. There is a need for striving, for working out our salvation with fear and trembling, but we do so dependent on God to help us in our weakness. Help me, Lord. Save me from this sin so that I might look to your word and follow it. We continue in verse 147. I hope in your words. In verse 148, that I may meditate on your promise. Law and commandment are not the only themes of God's word to us. Scripture is not simply a list of rules and regulations to scare us, to keep us living straight. We need God's instruction and we need the warnings of scripture. They help keep us living upright lives and fighting sin. But God's word is also rich in promise and in hope. Here, the psalmist calls us and reminds us to dwell on, hope in, and live in the promises of our God. Promises like Isaiah 41, verse 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Jeremiah 31, three, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And for us under Christ, we are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20, that all the promises of God find their yes in him. Christ is the culmination, the final revelation, and the ultimate promise of God. The author of Hebrews begins the book with these words. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the, by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How can we have no fear? What keeps us from dismay? Christ. How can we be convinced that God has indeed loved us with an everlasting love? Christ. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the Welsh preacher who served in London in the early and mid-1900s, sums it up in a Christmas meditation like this. What God did when he sent his son into the world is an absolute guarantee that he will do everything that he has ever promised to do. Verse 151 all your commandments are true. In verse 152, long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. God's word is true. It is trustworthy. And not only that, it will last forever. It will always be true. It is an unchanging decree. It is not like a constitution that can be ratified. So why would you hope in any other words than that of God's? Why would you glorify the words of state or philosophy over the very word of God? God's word is the lifeblood of the Christian. It gives direction, it reveals who God is, and it provides us with his promises. We can hope in, trust in, and live out of it. The words of God are true and they are indeed everlasting. Each of these needs, prayer and his word, are seen here in light of verses, excuse me, in light of verse 150. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. So these, these whole heart cries and these leaning in, these leanings in into God's word are, are in the middle of persecution. Enemies are near. Evil is crouching at the door. But even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. We turn to our father, trusting in his word and crying out to him for help. Bible intake like prayer is something that we often know is needed, but we overly ignore. My Bible has regretfully had layers of dust more than I care to admit. We love other things more and like prayer, we are often just tired. So what, what do we do with our need for intake? Again, it, it may look different in each season or for each person. Some of us may need to commit this year to reading and or listening to the Bible through this next year rather than committing to completing a whole TV series. I'm a, I'm a slow reader, but on average, it takes about 75 hours to read or listen to the entire Bible. During the, the early days of COVID, Annalise and I watched through the, the political drama, The West Wing, uh, start to finish in a matter of months. This seven season, 154 episode series took 109 hours and 12 minutes to watch. Now, I, I don't necessarily regret that time. We, we enjoyed it. It gave us something to do in the, the midst of being locked down. And I use that example not to induce guilt or not to promote legalism, but just as an easy comparison. 
it takes less time to read or listen to God's word than it does to watch a multi-season TV series. And how often do we find time for that? Can we not find the same time for God's word? And yet, while some of us may need to commit to reading the Bible through this year, some of us may need to throw our checklists out. Perhaps some of us need to stop idolizing our disciplined checklist consumption and slow down, meditate, and let God's promises wash over us. Perhaps we may need to take time to memorize scripture so that we can readily turn to the Father and use his words to fight sin. Memorizing and calling to mind scripture is a great way to keep our communion with Christ throughout the day. And don't, don't downplay the, the, the gift of audio Bibles. It's so easy to listen to your Bible now. In the car, while doing dishes, while doing other chores, filling our otherwise busy time with God's word read to us is one way that we can consume more of his words and his promises so I'm, I'm not sure what your plan needs to be, but I do know that we need God's word. So we meditate on God's word and we find our hope in his promises. And ultimately we find our hope in Christ. So we come to the, our third and our final need that we will look at this morning, a need for God himself. Again, the psalmist indicates in verse 150 that there are enemies nearby him, but comfort is provided in verse 151. But you are near, O Lord. Would you consider that for a moment? That God is near? There's probably a lot that feels very near right now. The nearness of a new year may be bringing some of us excitement, but for many, as we discussed, it may be bringing fear. Perhaps you're feeling the nearness of fear in life's instabilities. Perhaps you're so troubled, you feel the nearness of spiritual warfare and darkness. Whatever feels near, the good news is that God is near. God is near. See, we, we have a need for prayer. We have a need for his word, but even more, we have a need for God himself. God's blessing and his answers to prayer are great, but he is greater. A new job, a new raise, a new friendship, the hope of marriage, a new child, all are blessings, but Christ is greater. More money will not take away your disappointments. Perfect grades or a new relationship will not remove your depression. Better days and a fenced-in yard will not keep our spiritual enemy out. We need Christ himself. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to be alone. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The nearness of God, God himself, is what ultimately kept Paul. 
Again, the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 13, verse five, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Money and possessions do not ultimately bring contentment and joy, only the love and the nearness of Christ, the friend of sinners who will never leave us or forsake us. The beloved hymn, Blessed Assurance, declares the goodness of the nearness of God in the first verse. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. There is assurance and comfort knowing that God is with us. And in the closing verse, perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Friends, the best gift that we have, the answer to our deepest longings and prayers is what scripture ultimately points us to. And that is Christ himself, God giving himself to us. You might ask, how near is God to us? What does it mean that he is near and that ultimately we need him? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He literally came to us as we just spent weeks meditating on how God came to us, born as a child, fully human while remaining fully God. He bent low and humbled himself to be like us, just without sin. He came to us. For the believer, he died on our behalf and we are crucified with Christ, buried with him in baptism. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He rose from the grave and he is now alive and reigning. We have union with the risen Christ and we are hidden in him. We are filled with his Holy Spirit and Christ promises to be with us until the end of the age. We have the promise that he will come again to rescue his people and bring them into endless, perfect communion with him. Revelation 21 verses three and four says of that day, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. Friends, he is near. He came to us, he is with us, and he is coming again. So what do we do with this? What do we do? New Year's Eve, 2023 with Psalm 119, specifically the verses that we looked at today. There's no looming fear that the world is gonna shut down tonight, but there are plenty of fears and anxieties at the global, national, local, and personal level to keep us awake tonight. And even if life is going as we wish, we remember that ultimately we are dependent on the Lord for life and breath and salvation. For the unbeliever in the room, I would plead with you to consider what we have looked at briefly this morning. Where do you run and to whom do you go? How stable does your life feel? And is there an emptiness and longing in your soul for something more? Do you fear the future and eternity? I would urge you to talk to someone in the room who you know loves Jesus. 
Let them tell you of what he has done for them. Let them tell you how he has answered their prayers. Let them tell you how his word recorded in scripture are unlike any other words. How just like after seeing Jesus risen from the dead, his followers said, did, you, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Let them tell you of the goodness of his presence, the power of his spirit and the joy of his salvation. For the believer, I would ask you to consider in light of our fears and our joys, our anxieties or our our excited anticipation, where is your treasure this year? What are you hoping and clinging to? How needy is your frame? Are you remembering that you are ultimately dependent on Christ? Are you bringing your needs to him as your father? Or are you treating him like a vending machine, a self-checkout station where you don't really have to interact? You can just scan and pay and go. Are you reliant on his word to guide you and to cheer you? Or is it merely a check off the list? Are you realizing that God is near, that he is with you, that you are filled with his spirit? Are you walking with him daily, crying out to him morning, noon, and night, enjoying his presence, meditating on his promises, and delighting in him? There's no greater joy, no greater peace, no greater savior than Christ. Psalm 16 reminds us, he makes known to me the path of life. In his presence, there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, he is good, and indeed, he is near. Each week, we have the joy of taking communion together. We take communion to remind ourselves regularly and proclaim the death of Christ, that he came to us as near as he could in the form of man, living the perfect life on our behalf and dying the death that we deserved, taking on sin so that we might receive his righteousness. In doing this, we commune with him, enjoying his presence and giving us nourishment for our souls.